my purpose in teaching this uh, is to gain, uh, for us to gain a familiarity together of integrated management of childhood illness, what it is, uh, what diseases it's treating, and the epidemiology of those diseases, how it's structured, and, uh, and the methods of using IMCI, the treatment protocols, to actually look through some of them and kind of get a feel for how community health workers uh, are going to be using those in the areas you work. Uh, to build capacity in medical missions rather than duplicate or undermine Ministry of Health efforts, a parallel system that we're often, too often accused of rightly creating, uh, and then to complement those efforts, whatever Ministry of Health and the WHO are doing and UNICEF is doing, to be working with that uh, and yet providing that alternative um, uh, to, to some degree, let me explain. Uh, and, and just let me say right there that uh, because some of you will be working as I have in a clinical role. Okay, I have a public health degree, but I've done little in that in a day-to-day -day way other than my viewpoints are very much influenced by that. Um, but when you see a patient referred to you from a health facility to become angry about the protocol they used when that's what they've been taught to use is, of course, wrong. Um, and if you are, on the other hand, a, a physician or a nurse practitioner or a nurse who's going to start a community health program, here's some protocols that might be quite useful. So the background to this talk is that lots of kids are dying in low- and middle-income countries and that two-thirds of their deaths are preventable. Preventable by simple methods. Lack of access to health care in these countries is a key part of the problem. And uh, that means lack of access to lack of workers, lack of patient transport, money is, is uh, in short supply, and, um, and a lack of awareness uh, of the potential benefit by the patient who may be seeking care from a traditional healer. And, of course, many, many other determinants of health go into uh, the inequities and the disparities, right? So we know that these huge problems that are way beyond our personal involvement in most cases, unless you end up in a political role, uh, that they have a greater determinant of health influence than much of what uh, we deal with um, in terms of lifestyle alterations and so on. And the solution is we need more workers, more paraprofessionals, more community health workers who are low cost, who are in the communities, who are providing that longitudinal, continuous, uh, comprehensive package of health with follow-up for, for the patients. This talk, taken in isolation, would be really a bad idea. Uh, if you haven't attended or uh, haven't read or haven't listened to Terry Dalrymple's talk, uh, Terry, are you in the room? <laughs> okay. Um, we might just have him do this. Uh, you need to. Community health evangelism is the mindset I want you to be thinking as I go through this, okay? This is a WHO sterile protocol. Given in isolation, it does not have great eternal benefit. You will treat people in a very medical way with some social support. 
But unless you integrate that with whole person care, including spiritual outreach, I would contend that you've not done your whole job. We know these statistics. Things that are colorful are bad in this picture. It's where kids are dying at disproportionate rates. The under five mortalities in these countries uh, is, is absolutely horrific. And our progress towards achieving the millennial development goal of reducing the under five mortality, while it is happening, there is great disparities in where it's happening. So we're now down to about 6.6 million under five deaths in 2012. And we can pat ourselves on the back internationally that over 20 years we've reduced it by half. But we still have a whole lot of kids dying, nearly 18,000 under five deaths per day last year. The fact is that while these areas of the world are doing well, Southern Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa have made much less progress on reducing under five mortality. And as such, are not on target to reach the millennial development goals in those two regions by 2015, but we're looking at probably another 15 years, 13 to 15 years down the road to achieve that reduction in under five mortality. And the fact is that where these kids are dying each year in Southern Asia and in Africa is the exact area where we don't have workers. So when we map out the world according to where people are dying and now on this slide where people are working, you know, that's where they die. That's where people work. Very few people working, healthcare workers in general, physicians here uh, in, in that particular graphic. If you go to gapminder.org and you sort of plot out whatever you want, do all of you know about Gapminder, right? now taught well in, in schools of, of uh, medicine and in nursing schools. You need to spend time there and play with these numbers uh, to see really what matters and what seems to make a difference. What's clear is that a country with a low income per capita has a nearly impossible job of achieving under five mortalities that are reasonable. So one of the solutions are those big determinants which are increasing the GNP per capita in that country that allows for disposable income to treat problems that are common in killing kids. Again, balance that with our history internationally that over the last 50 years we've made tremendous strides, right? We've eradicated smallpox. The oral rehydration therapy has made a dramatic difference in diarrheal deaths that malaria outside of Africa in many countries has been eliminated, and yet in Africa, because of elimination of DDT spraying in the late 50s, early 60s, we've seen an explosion uh, to pre-involvement levels, pre-eradication attempt levels of malaria. The Millennial Development Goals, Jeff Sachs and colleagues that gave us these big, ideas about what we should be working on uh, by 2015 uh, 
we, we know what our priorities should be, both as healthcare workers and, I believe, as the church involved in medical missions. Many of these are things that we won't work on on a daily basis. Environmental sustainability or global partnerships, big ideas, some of us will. Uh, but rather, most of us will be involved in these goals four through six of reducing child mortality one patient at a time or improving maternal health one patient at a time, combating HIV and AIDS. We're talking about goal four today. So IMCI, Integrated Management of Childhood Illness, is an attempt to reduce child mortality in an effective, uh, cost-effective and uh, in an efficient way. And, and that means getting numbers, again, in sub-Saharan Africa and uh, in South Asia down to those goals, um, which are going to be missed, but we need to be still working on this. So what are the causes of death in children under five years of age? If we look at the global causes of death, uh, somewhere around 41% uh, are newborns. So kids in their first 28 days of life, and the other 59% are children up through age 5. We look at the causes there within those two pies. We've got preterm uh, delivery, asphyxia, sepsis, our big numbers on newborn side, diarrhea, pneumonia, and other infections on the children's side. Malaria falling down now to a much lower level simply because of intensive efforts through the Global Fund and so on. <clears throat> if we look at that compared epidemiologically, the very high mortality countries to the very low mortality countries, there's a stark difference, isn't there? So our babies here in the U.S., half of them that die under five die in the first 28 days of life. And most of those are things that many of them are not things that are preventable, congenital anomalies and so on. Over there, so to speak, 18% pneumonia, 12% diarrhea, 17% malaria, neonatal causes still a quarter of all the deaths in those high mortality countries. And again, although it's halved since 1990, the MDG target is not going to be reached, largely because of South Asia and Africa. So here's the trends. Here's what we've tried to do in the last half a century. It started with mass campaigns. We'll do big campaigns uh, globally and get rid of diseases. Smallpox was one of those we succeeded in doing that with. And then Alma-Ata and primary health care came along, and we're going to do this through just the, the PHC model, comprehensive care in the community. And absolutely, many of these still have great value, but this is just the way the world's been focusing is what I'm, what I'm showing you. And then selective PHC, focus on a few problems. You know, take campaigns, so we've got this silo and this silo and this silo, many times working in the same country, the same regions, side by side with their SUVs and their, their big staffs and budgets. And then we're going to target these three diseases. That's what we'll do because those have 
a great value in each of those. Um, integrated management of childhood illness tries to take a bit more global perspective on the child, uh, the care environment, the community, and then the whole transition of care to the clinic, the hospital, and so on. It's a strategy of WHO and UNICEF uh, that began back in the 90s with a goal of improving child survival in resource-poor settings by an integrated approach. Integrated in a, in a secular or, or non-Christian sense uh, is what's understood here, okay? When you and I talk about integrated, we add in more key stuff that's missing in this integrated. But what they're talking about is, is the whole chain of, of referral and care within the community. To reduce death, illness, and disability, promote growth and de- development of the child. So not just treat the illness, but a healthy child who grows up into a healthy adult through preventive as well as curative elements uh, implemented by the families and communities in those health facilities. Parenthetically, these slides and a vast array of resources are in my folder if you want to download them. So if we look at this in terms of what the package is, a part of the package, simplistically, it's preventive and curative. So the community health worker doing IMCI will be involved in immunizing, in breastfeeding support, nutrition counseling. Very cost-effective, big bang for the buck. And then curative interventions for diseases that cause 70% of childhood deaths. Those of you who are family nurse practitioners or headed that way or family docs, primary care physicians, recognize the the sense, the the reason of this model. You've got a big workforce taking off the top the vast array array of, of, of diseases in a very, very effective way. And so under nutrition and nutrition counseling, treating uh, children regularly with a vitamin A supplement and uh, zinc for diarrhea and so on. The features of it are that it's inexpensive, it's integrated in that sense, not just disease but health, and, uh, and it focuses on symptoms. So it's symptom-based care rather than disease-based care. It's not diagnostic uh, care of the patient. It's recognize the symptom, treat the syndrome, and uh, in that way save money and live better. Features of it, uh, also managing common diseases, as mentioned, preventive interventions, adjusting curative interventions to the capacity of the health system, so not overloading the budget with expensive methods of treatment or testing, but rather cost-effective ones, and involving the family and community in the process. These three different uh, materials here, if you want to read further and learn more would be the key uh, texts or resources to click on. So bring my PowerPoint up on your computer, click on, the, uh, on any one of those. What you'll find is, so here is some training materials for doing this. Uh, here's a computerized model where a community health worker, nurse, physician that wants to be involved simply goes through this computer training course and becomes uh, IMCI Uh, capable. And then here's a flip chart, which if you're like me and you just want a good resource to use, that's a really super one, and we'll look at this together in a minute. So uh, how do these workers get trained? Well, um, during 11 days of training, 
uh, in a structured course uh, that's been developed by the WHO and refined over the last uh, 20-some years, uh, they're given extensive materials. Uh, they're given that flip chart, uh, which we'll look at, and uh, was the last reference in the prior slide. Uh, <clears throat> and then they sit in a classroom as well as do some in clinical practice, so they'll go into a clinic and see some patients that are coming in with, for example, cough. What do we do for the child with cough? And and follow through that flip chart and start to use the materials, gaining competency by repetition, and then get formative feedback, just like those of us in academics do for our learners on a daily basis. You know, well, we could do this better next time, but this was really good. Oh, yeah, you say that first, you know, the sandwich, you know, that was really good what you did. You could improve on this, but overall, that was a fabulous job. See you tomorrow. And see you tomorrow. Course director uh, does the direction of this, and he is, or she is supposed to then choose um, people that train underneath uh, that director. So, uh, you know, the, you got the director, a bunch of facilitators, and then a bunch of learners. And the idea is to kind of move the learners up to facilitators and then gain another director, and they move over and and multiply the effort. Because the guide is very detailed that is used for this training, there's a fair amount of consistency between different sites and countries. Um, All the workers receive at least a follow-up visit, or are supposed to, in their community. So the facilitator goes to that community where the workers have been trained and watches them for a day or two doing their things. And, uh, and, and sort of solving various problems. The facilitators uh, who facilitate the training of the learners are chosen for performance in the course, and then they attend a five-day course to become a facilitator. And the goal is to have one facilitator for every four participants. So you've got this tree of learning. The components of what's taught um, and such uh, is that first the health worker Uh, With their new skills, uh, they are going to be in those first-level health facilities. So they are the point of first contact in the village for the child who's ill. Um, And they gain the skills to do that through this training. Uh, Seems uh, rather uh, self-evident. Case management guidelines, again, for 70% of the causes of death in that area, or uh, which happen to be the same, pretty much universally in the low-income countries. There's supervision and then monitoring. That's official component one. Official component two is that the community is involved, uh, that there's preventive care, so immunizations, breastfeeding, nutritional support, home care of sick children, recognition of severe illness, and then uh, uh, teaching about care-seeking behaviors. Component three Uh, there's bigger picture stuff. So planning and management is involved, making sure drugs and supplies are flowing to those health centers, organization of their work, how their day goes, helping them with that aspect, monitoring them, supervising them, creating and maintaining referral pathways and uh, and some health information system to uh, facilitate the care. And, and again, the objectives of all this is to reduce deaths. Um, frequency, severity of illness as well, but then to go beyond that and actually promote health, growth, and development. Don't you love slides like this? So this is kind of the big flow. So you've got, and and the word to focus on here is integrated, okay? This is what they mean by integrated. 
It's integrated because you've got this outpatient health facility that is involved in, in taking in children with various signs and symptoms of disease and assessing their nutrition, growth, and development, providing the vaccinations, treatment for the disease, and prevention, preventive uh, strategies, referring them when needed, uh, following them up, doing things in the home, and, um, and that's the big picture. So if we look at this in terms of what are they going to be involved in, uh, they're going to be involved in the things that kill kids, right? So if these are the causes of death, they're going to address those causes of death. And, uh, and so that's the pillars of IMCI are the frequent causes of death. Thanks to Tina Slusher from uh, Helping Babies Breathe for this slide where uh, we learned that resuscitation of an infant is not big, difficult stuff. Baby comes out and is not breathing. You need to breathe for the baby. And it doesn't take big equipment. No oxygen is needed. You need positive pressure ventilation. And suddenly, you've saved 9% of children dying in the world. If they get to this stage, which they usually don't, and need resuscitation, though we focus on it in our peds and family med and nurse practitioner training on neonatal resuscitation. What do you do when that doesn't work? You know, you start giving meds and all this, and then you start putting in IVs, and, you know, they're in an incubator. Now we're into the absurd levels of cost. Those of you in my prior session uh, know my tension with this. I work in that environment. That's where I provide care is in a hospital, right? Uh, but when they've gotten to there because of a failure in the prior steps of the system, we should be actively involved in social justice, changing that because now we're into horribly inefficient care. Now you're spending big money because the mother didn't have prenatal care, because the midwife or the person delivering the baby didn't have positive pressure ventilation, so the kid is half gorked or comes in with some complication, and you're spending boku bucks to deal with what should have been prevented. And, and that's wrong. And then sepsis is a big cause of death, too, in babies. And so, you know, any deviation from normal in a neonate, uh, you know, as a family doc, I, I work at Mayo Clinic, and I teach family medicine residents, but we have some rather strange situation there. I mean, you think Mayo Clinic, what's a family doc doing at Mayo Clinic? Well, there's about 60 of us there. We do about 70% of the care for people in Rochester. We care for the families of the staff. Why? Because family docs are efficient. We save money and people live better. They come in, they get their max pack visit and everything's done and they love it. We also provide care in the newborn nursery in the hospital. And so when I see a baby in my simple family doc mind that's not doing well, sepsis is my first thought and it should be your first thought in the field too. The temperature variations are not feeding quite right. Start antibiotics. You have very little to lose and you have a ton to gain uh, from saving a child's life. Diarrheal illness uh, is uh, pervasive in the developing world where one and a half or two million children will die each year of this um, and is easily recognized. Most of it is just viral and can be treated with uh, simple means. Prevented is better though, right? I mean, if kids are washing their hands and food is clean and utensils are clean and flies are controlled, um, 
and that means being involved in the community. So if you and I are just sitting in our clinic and we're not involved in the community health program in our mission hospital, uh, then we're just going to be putting Band-Aids on things. And they're going to keep coming in over and over and over again with the same things and we'll treat their parasitic disease. And six months later, they come in with malnutrition and, and diarrhea and wasting and, and parasites again. It's wrong. So we need to be involved as the Church of God in community health evangelism. And then uh, preventing the deaths by treating the dehydration and, uh, and with salt and, uh, and water replacement. Lots of people in rural areas don't have a good source of drinking water. And, uh, and how do we provide that? I think we need, we need to be very careful about how we create those sources of clean drinking water so that we don't just go in, hit and run, bam, give you a source of drinking water, bye. But again, we're doing it through our, our CHE programs. We're doing it through our community involvement so that the community and us together, we're facilitating them doing it using their own assets. And the frank truth is that some 30% of people are right now defecating in either open areas or in unimproved sanitation facilities that still spread illness. And so until we get those changed, we're not going to see a big change in those disease rates. Watery stool, usually viral, might be cholera if it's that really rice water, just vast volumes of watery diarrhea, which needs antibiotic treatment, or bloody, uh, but primarily rehydration, or bloody stool, which could be bacillary dysentery, antibiotics, or no fever, amoebiasis, treat with flagell. And if the gut works, use it to give ORIS and supplement with zinc because that reduces uh, severity of the episode. Selective use of antibiotics, not widespread use. Most of it's viral. You know, half of deaths, some estimates say a third of deaths um, in, in these areas are due to undernutrition. It's certainly a component in a large share of deaths, and I would say probably more than half. Um, impact of breastfeeding markedly reduces death from diarrhea and pneumonia. And so exclusive breastfeeding should be something you preach to your patients here and you preach to the patients, especially there where clean water is not available. Giving vitamin A regularly to patients, and so that's part of IMCI, is that they regularly treat people in their neighborhood with vitamin A, which reduces deaths from diarrhea and measles. You know, every six months you see a kid, they haven't had their vitamin A, whoop, there's your dose. Help resist measles so when they get measles, they don't go blind. So let's take the next little bit of time now and go through what this looks like in terms of uh, cough or difficulty breathing, the rubric under which pneumonia falls, okay? So cough, difficulty breathing, common infection among children. You see it in your clinics. I see it. They see it too. Maybe pneumonia or it may just be a cold, right? So how are they going to know? Um, you know, if it's a state licensed nurse or a, an advanced practice nurse working in that village, you know, he or she is all set. 
But some of these people doing IMCI don't have that kind of level of training. They have 11 days of training. And now they're going to be treating pneumonias with very little diagnostic resources with antibiotics, and they need to do it right. So how, how, how does that work? Um, strep pneumonia is the most common bacterial cause there, and here children can die from not just uh, from complications of, uh, of the pneumonia causing hypoxia, but also from sepsis. So what do you do? A child presents with uh, difficulty breathing or cough. Uh, first thing is to check for fast breathing, fast breathing or chest indrawing, um, you know, not retractions, chest indrawing. So the, the terms used in the training and in the evaluations uh, are, are the same. They follow through. Uh, they're simple lay terms. Is your child been breathing fast? Are they breathing fast now as I look at the child? Uh, is the chest indrawing down there? And, and this is a, a cut and paste from the IMCI flip chart. So, you know, child comes in, danger sign, chest in drawing or strider in a clam child. Um, and, uh, and that's a severe pneumonia. First dose of an antibiotic, get them to the hospital. So when you are working in the hospital and you see a kid that got one dose of antibiotics and was sent right to you and they have chest in drawing with fast breathing, you should say, well done. Send a note to that that village health worker and say, spot on, or just fast breathing. Um, give an appropriate oral antibiotic. What are they doing treating with amoxicillin for five days, number one? Don't they know you have to treat for seven or ten days? Um, and, and why that for this kid? They don't even have a fever. They're supposed to. That was the protocol. The kid was breathing fast, and we're going to try and get the most common cause of the fast breathing, which is pneumonia, and get it out of that death picture. And so they should be getting some amoxicillin. And something to soothe the throat and calm the cough and advise the mother when they should return. Um, and if there's no signs of pneumonia, then you just kind of soothe the cough. And as you'll see, they have very creative ways of doing that. I mean, we, you know, we use honey now and... They're using breast milk. You know, why not? Um, the WHO IMCA model is, is then this. I mean, this, this is how pneumonia is diagnosed. You know, you get a cough and fast respiratory rate, maybe some retractions. That's pneumonia. And, uh, and doing this, we can dramatically reduce childhood mortality in this, this Lancet publication uh, demonstrated. Okay? So you don't need fancy stuff. And you need it widespread to make a big difference in morbidity and mortality internationally. So the first question is, do they have cough or difficulty breathing? No. Then you go on. Okay. So the kid comes in, and the IMCI worker is trained to stay with the basics. Hi. Does your child have trouble breathing or, or um, uh, cough? No. He has diarrhea. Move on on your flip chart. Okay. How long? Um, and then follow through the diarrhea thing. If it's yes, then count the breaths, look for the indrawing, listen, look for strider, classify that, severe, not so, and then it's not a pneumonia, and treat accordingly. Soothing the cough, you know. Um, I've never used tamarind or calamine. I guess calamine's 
I don't, that's a, an herb. Anyone help me there? Uh, ginger, never use that. We use honey usually. Um, and then not, you know, don't prescribe codeine and oral and nasal decongestants for the kid. The treatment is stuff from the essential medication list. Are all of you familiar with the WHO essential medication list? Google it. Look through it before you go on your short-term mission, okay? Um, as part of that, big picture parenthetical statement, not meant in any way to be a personal plug. Google on Steve's essential stuff. It's all over the web. I run a tropical medicine course at Mayo each year. Well, I used to. It's not running this year. Um, I never did have it funded, and it took a lot of time from family, so we've got to figure that out. Parenthetic. Steve's essential stuff, that's on there with a whole lot of other resources that can help you prepare for a short-term medical mission trip. Um, the, the essential medication list includes stuff that's cheap and pretty effective for most stuff, not augmentin, amoxicillin. Um, Cotrimoxazole is falling off of IMCI in many places due to drug resistance. How many days do you give it? One study showed it's equally effective for three days as five days. Actually, two different studies. Wow. And if you don't do that, what happens? Then you're in a world of hurt. It's like the child in the ICU that comes in with, you know, sepsis and now needs a bunch of treatment. Here's a kid with just this whole whiteout on the side of their chest because days ago they presented or they've developed their symptoms of pneumonia. No one treated them, and now they've got an empyema. So now you've got to put the chest tube in and drainage and IV antibiotics, and it's an extraordinary picture of uh, cost ineffectiveness. Someday we'll have immunizations that will reduce pneumonias worldwide that will be available. They're already there, of course. Nutrition... <clears throat> Uh, needs to be part of the picture of vitamin A and zinc and then avoiding indoor air pollution that increases pneumonia by about 2x. And if we look at things that are preventable by, by uh, immunization, it's a huge amount of stuff, isn't it? Just a vast number of things that we can prevent by immunization that we aren't currently preventing. And even though we have vaccines for lots of things, in many areas, less than 50% of Kids are getting those vaccines. Okay. Here's the flip chart. Those of you that want to bring this up on your uh, computer, just go again to the, my presentation, click on the flip chart, and this will pop up or Google uh, flip chart IMCI um, protocol or something like that, and it will come up on the WHO page. You can download it. You'll notice here that it's, it's assess, classify, identify signs, checking for malnutrition and so on, checking their immunization status, okay? Sort of the diagnostic piece. And then you're going to treat them uh, at home, give them some preventive treatments, give some emergency treatment, okay? Quinine for severe malaria. So the kid comes in with severe malaria, one dose of IM quinine. You've seen that, you're like, what are they doing? They're supposed to. IM antibiotic. Valium for convulsions, send them in the taxi to the hospital, treat the low blood sugar, um, give them fluids for diarrhea, and then follow-up care for the common, common illnesses, counseling the mother about uh, various things that she needs to know to make her child not just not sick but well.
When IMCA started out, a big criticism of it was that it didn't include neonates. You've seen the pie. I mean, I don't know why. Well, I, don't, I do know why. The, the reason was that in the big meetings, they said this isn't cost effective. So thank you now. That's in there. So infants up to two months of beyond neonatal, the first two months of age are now included. Before that, they were just kind of left to die. So that's in there. And, and the, the methods are the same with treatment for the things that are more common in uh, the first two years of life. So let's go now to, uh, uh, to that flip chart. I have uh, a bit of time remaining. I do, uh, 14 minutes. That's one minute past where I wanted to be. But let's look here at this flip chart. Well, it used to be here. There it is. Okay, page one. So there's, there's what I already showed you, which is the table of contents, this flip chart sitting on your table. You're at your desk. You're in the village. And Johnny, who's four years old, comes in with some trouble breathing. Okay? Look, listen, and feel. Chest in drawing, strider, wheezing. If wheezing, bronchodilator. Check him again in 15 minutes. Give it again, again, three times. Count the breaths. Follow closely. Now they're not breathing fast. Guess what it was? If they still are, what is it? It's pneumonia. And then you treat it. And if it's severe, you give them a dose and you send them to the hospital. If it's not, then you give them an oral antibiotic for, this is the new protocol from five down to three, three days. So you see the kid that got three days for that, and then a month later they come in for cerebral malaria, and you're like, oh, why are they giving three days? They're supposed to work within the system. And if not, then you're going to treat the cough or the cold, okay? I reversed my mouse. Okay, diarrhea. Diarrhea. If yes, how long? Look at them. Are they dehydrated, sunken eyes? I realize you can't see this, but you see what I'm trying to do, get you familiar with this uh, protocol because it's what the world is supposed to be using. Um, not able to drink, drinking poorly, uh, pinch the abdomen. Does it go back slowly or more quickly? Then you classify the diarrhea and you, if blood in stool, give ciprofloxacin. Now, but they didn't give flagell and the kid didn't have a fever. They should have known it wasn't that it was amoebiasis. Hold your anger. Number one, parenthetic free statement in Africa, uh, in African traditional religion, which is pervasive in the culture, whether they are Christian or not, it's their ethical background. They perhaps more appropriately than the American Christians see anger as the highest wrong because it violates community. And when you become angry with your coworker or with the patient or the father, you have just committed the worst sin possible. It is worse than adultery. It is on the level of like killing someone to be angry with them. Now, where did they get that? <laughs> so be careful. Don't just work within the system, but be careful about your emotions 
when you don't know that this may be valid what they have done. It will be much more redemptive, and then when you share Christ with them, they will listen. Does the child have fever? Ask for how long? More than seven days? Every day as he had it? Look and feel. If it's in a malaria area, then you need to classify it. High-risk malaria, low-risk malaria. High-risk malaria. Well, then they might well have malaria, okay? If they have a stiff neck, it's probably cerebral malaria. You're going to need to treat that and refer them on to the hospital urgently. But if, you know, they just have a fever and they don't have signs of severe malaria, which are simplistic, given, and meningitis is left off, then you give them ether. So it's artemisinin-based treatment now in the new flip chart protocol, and you care for them uh, in the community unless it's severe febrile disease. Ear problems. All of you know you don't need to treat otitis media for the most part. Uh, Still, if there's pus draining from the ear, you're going to give an antibiotic for five days. If there's mastoiditis, you're going to treat that uh, urgently at the hospital. Malnutrition, anemia, anemia. Checking for immunization, vitamin A, deworming. So every six months, you're giving vitamin A. Every six months, you're giving mebendazole. Now, hopefully, that's not all you're doing, back to the whole latrine thing and such. That's the village health worker. They're in the community. They need to be involved in changing the culture. And that's unlikely to happen if it's top-down. It needs to be as part of the culture, working alongside, et cetera, et cetera. Listen again to Terry Dalrymple's talk. Uh, and then you give oral antibiotics by the flip chart protocol. The dose is right there, and so on. How to treat local infections at home. Again, vitamin A, babendazole in the clinic. Treatment in the clinic only. We're just page right down here to show you what all is in this, in this document. Follow-up care for the various diseases. Counseling for the mother. Feeding recommendations during illness. Um, counseling her about her health, fluid, and when to return. And now we get to the neonatal and one to two months of age and the things they have like jaundice or diarrhea or feeding problems, uh, immunization, vitamin A status, and so on. Okay? So we've done that. And again, there's the flip chart if you want to look at it. Now, how does it work? Well, an evaluation in five countries by Bryce in 2004 showed that people trained were more likely to give correct treatments. They communicate better with the caregivers. It takes longer, but it's still more efficient because even though they're spending more time getting that history and following through this flip chart, they're still giving better treatment, and so it's, in the end, much more efficient than if they just kind of shot in the dark and did it with whatever little training they had before. Costs less than routine care in some settings. That's the countries where there's been training. 75% or more of districts in the countries in dark green have received IMCI training. That means it's pervasive in those countries. If you work in one of these countries, you're going to have a very high penetration of community health workers that have been trained by this method uh, versus the more white uh, uh, labeled countries. 
Fact is, however, when you do follow-up studies, uh, that their absolute uh, performance is kind of bad. And who can blame them? I mean, this 11 days of training, and now they are doctored like people. So in Uganda, less than half of children received the correct treatment in prior study. In Peru, about 10%. Uh, in Tanzania, uh, which was one of the best performers, uh, there was still lots of room for improvement. <coughs> Excuse me. Three uh, pages of recommendations from me. So... What I would do, what I would recommend you do is that wherever you're working, you use these protocols for your community health program, not in isolation from the spiritual aspects of care and community health evangelism. Please don't just stop here. You need comprehensive whole person care. Train your village health workers in them. Vary from the protocol only with very good reasons. Think about it. Be sure that all of the health workers understand any variations so they can tell their colleagues. So if you've taught the people that are under your, in your catchment area that are affiliated with your mission hospital, no, I want five days of antibiotics, make sure they know why. Uh, and please don't do that because the data shows three is good enough. Use them in your clinics for your nurses so that there's continuity, so that if the village health worker visits or sees the care in the, in the carte, uh, carne de sante of the patient, when they come back to the village and they go, oh, they gave him seven days of antibiotics. Really? Um, so follow the same treatment protocols. And then after training them, being involved in training, stay in contact. So many people today have smartphones, and at least phones, and they can contact you. You can contact them. They can do a virtual consult. You can reinforce skills following the protocols. Um, and then if there's cases of morbidity or mortality, discuss them. Why did that happen? Is there some way that we veered off of the protocol, or was it appropriate? The patient had meningitis. You treated him for cerebral malaria. Well, that was appropriate. So uh, don't, don't you know, hassle them for that. Um, text reminders have been demonstrated in Kenya to be very effective for uh, uh, community health workers in terms of reminding as well as parents while reminding people to do uh, certain health things. Virtual consults, I mentioned, resourcing them, uh, but resourcing them with things that are, that are uh, the same recommendations as how they've been trained. And then focusing on consistent errors. Uh, so if there's certain things where they keep varying from the protocol, that's where you should really discuss it. And, uh, but you need to do so with real um, carefulness because it may be that they did that because the community expects antibiotics, for example, for a sinus infection. They do in America, even though it doesn't help, uh, or for a conjunctivitis or for a bronchitis. You know, they need a Z-pack. It doesn't help a thing. Uh, so you need, you need to discuss why did you do this and find that out really um, costs and then availability of the medi medis medical supplies, making sure that, that that whole picture of integrated uh, community uh, management is, uh, is in place and use the manual. So that was my learning objectives. I, I trust we've covered that material, and, and, uh, and I'd be glad to take your questions now. Yes, sir. So what do you think about having our Chase get this IMCI training using the, in the So should CHE programs be using IMCI protocols? I think that's why I was asked to talk on this. 
I don't do IMC. I have never done it, okay? I'm just reading the literature and kind of putting it out there for you. But um, if I had to, I didn't actually ask Phil Fisher why he asked me to do this and spend hours preparing something that I don't usually talk on, Um, you know, family docs. Um, Yes, I would recommend it highly. Why? Because if you're doing a whole different treatment protocol or sort of shoot from the hip stuff or, uh, you know, it's frankly offensively different, like they're doing it wrong, we're doing it right, your witness is not going to be preserved. They've been trained by the World Health Organization, who with hundreds of experts has, has established a very careful protocol. I would strongly recommend that you follow it. Please don't stop there. Please integrate all of CHE with it. But use the same protocol. It just seems like a perfect marriage. Of it's a perfect marriage. You've got all these CHE workers going out into the villages. The CHE workers are going into villages. They get a little extra training, and then they're doing the same thing that the trained village health workers are doing. They're reinforcing it and they're working in collegial fashion, that's capacity building. That's development. And now the question is, you know, what else? Why do your patients get better faster? Why are your patients calm when they're ill, et cetera? I heard you use carne de sante. Is this available in French? No, not, well, yeah, it must be. It must be. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't look. Yeah, I've worked in French Africa. Um, so, West Africa. So, um, but I, I didn't even look. My, my, my heart language is English, so that's why I use that. But, yes, it must be. You know, I, all, these, all these really important worldwide things, and, of course, the penetration is, is, uh, is in West Africa, so, of course, they're – yeah, of course it is. So, you know, there we have, you know, Guinea and, and – uh, or Cote d'Ivoire right there and, and Togo uh, must be in there. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those were actually, so the, the not-so-hot outcomes were actually not outcome measures, but they were, well, the outcome measure was uh, following the protocol. Did they follow the protocol? And the, the data showed that in many, many cases they prescribed the wrong thing despite being trained. My personal opinion about that is that I don't have great evidence for this, but it is in the recommendations from, there's a recent PLOS study, 2013, a group out of Calgary, uh, that did this. If you want something to put you to sleep tonight, go read that one. Uh, I didn't include it in the thing. It's like, really? Um, and, it's, and they did all of the IMCI literature and kind of classified it according to efficacy. But, the, um, but what, what they recommended was exactly that, that the monitoring and the follow-up needs to be there. And we of all people with CHE workers and with the continuity of care that the mission hospital or clinic can provide a home base for training and continuous monitoring and supplying and and staying in contact so you're working there as a medical professional they have access to your phone number they call you up i'm not sure what to do this is what's going on you know the protocol you say follow this protocol but then they say we've had an outbreak of meningitis in our community do you think i should also give antibiotics absolutely give them a dose of antibiotics as well as the anti-malarial and send them to and it also of course we treat severe malaria cerebral malaria with antibiotics because 25 percent or so have 
coexisting sepsis, but that's a whole other area. But yes, you're going you're gonna to vary from the protocol, but you're going to reinforce the protocol. And, um, uh, and, but the outcomes, again, there were, did they follow it? And no, they often don't. Someone else was right here. Yes? Um, just out of curiosity, in the places where the IMCI is used more densely, is there any data about uh, drug resistance? Because in pneumonia, we have yeah. a threshold for if there is, I'm not aware of it. And it's a good question. Is there more drug resistance in areas where they're using heavy amounts of antibiotic? You know, quite in fact, if you go to those other areas of untrained countries and go to any market, you, you know this, right? You know, you just go to the market, the Duca, and they're selling these different pills, you know, tetracycline and all this stuff. And the, the person there who has absolutely no training, although strangely in Guinea sometimes those are like med school grads, they graduate 500 a year. And they don't have jobs for them. And so sometimes they're, yeah, anyway. But um, so, you know, and they, they'll give you a tetracycline, moxicillin, blah, blah, blah. At least this is appropriate use. Someone else was back there. Yes? I just need to know why is three days moxicillin okay? I mean, yes, yes. And I'm sorry I didn't put that literature in there for time constraints. But um, do I think one of, no, none of my resources in there had that. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So um, there's one in there that's an, a 2013 update. I put that in there, and it discusses why, why zinc, why three days instead of five days. It has some nice graphs on, on comparative data from a couple country studies showing that the number of kids that, that uh, cured on three days was the same as five days. And, you know, the, the British Thoracic Society treatment for pneumonia is five days of, of amoxicillin. Right? Or is it seven days? But it's amoxicillin. They aren't using, you know, macrolids because you need to get the atypicals. I mean, that's, that's big pharma. May I just say that kind of parenthetically? That's my own biases. But it's big pharma talking uh, here in the U.S. A lot of what we are told to do in guidelines is big pharma driven. It's ungodly, and we're wasting money both in our own health system. Is what, that's getting my horse. But, yes, uh, three days is as good. Yes, sir? Hoorah. So just a comment on why some of it didn't work. It's based on a lot of evidence, basically, some prevalences of childhood diseases in Africa and other regions. But something that we're doing new at the CDC now is instead of IMCI, we're doing integrated disease surveillance. So then this will really help out country level. For instance, in West Africa, like we're talking about, the meningitis felt. There's a high prevalence of meningitis and morbidity and mortality. So then that's where it a little differs from the IMCI approach because then meningitis might not necessarily be at the top, you see. So then if you go to the CDC website, you'll see some of that surveillance data for different countries that you're in, and that will sort of modify some of the approaches that IMCI. So, so are you guys working with the WHO to change the flip charts for those regions? Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, it's all dry lab, just in case you guys ever look at that data and you're like, wow, there's is this and there's is that. And you're like, no, it isn't. It's just the MOH decided to choose that number. Yeah, truly, it's dry lab. Yeah. There's a major diseases and epidemic potential in major parts of Africa, but then they differ country to country. So once we get better surveillance data, then that will change the IMCI approach. 
Yeah, good comment. And in case this is being recorded, just a, a, a physician working at the CDC who's who's uh, noticing or noting that in, in, uh, infectious disease surveillance, country-specific uh, research and uh, surveillance is being used to modify the IMCI treatment protocols in the future so that, for example, meningitis belt in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, they might, in that case I gave, treat with antibiotics uh, rather than just and, you know, and some of that can be in the village. You know, I remember when I was there in 90 in Cote d'Ivoire, and they had just had a huge outbreak of uh, meningococcal meningitis that overwhelmed all the health facilities in southern Burkina Faso and northern Cote d'Ivoire. And, and so the treatment was, was, um, uh, was penicillin in, no, it was chloramphenicol, chloramphenicol in sesame seed oil, one dose and cured the vast majority. One dose IM in oil, so it was a depot uh, kind of approach, homemade. Yeah. <laughs> How's the CDC like that? <laughs> no, I know you would love that. But we, we need to find stuff like that. You know, if you've got thousands of patients and they're just kind of like dying, you, you, you do stuff. Does someone here at a hand? Say again? Yes. Prevalent, zero strain, yeah. Yeah, so immunizing against meningitis, hoorah. I mean, that's, you know, and then, then Pneumovax and then rotavirus, and then all of a sudden you start seeing all these numbers falling off the, the under five mortality. Uh, thank the Lord. Yes? I just wanted to follow up quickly with that amoxicillin comment. Our hospital actually has a new protocol in place for people that are being admitted, adults um, admitted for pneumonia, community acquired pneumonia, three days of treatment, and it's all evidence based. And it's, a lot of our attendees are, like, scared because they're like, no, we've never treated pneumonias for less than, like... And this is in the U.S.? This is in Michigan, yeah. Michigan. So, well, Michigan. <laughs> There's the reason. Vicki <laughs> and I already talked. Yeah, I trained in Michigan. All right. Um, we're treating, you know, simple, you know, if we come in with COPD or something else, it's a different protocol, but simple community acquired pneumonia. There's a future in that. Three-day antibiotic treatment. Yeah. Someone else was over here, yes. As, as a physician in a developing country, how do we become equipped to teach this? Do we just use the flip charts that are available, or do we go through a course? Yeah, so um, you could go. Th you have to go through the course to become a facilitator, to become a course director, as I understand it. Again, um, I've never done it, so you're talking to someone completely ignorant about this other than what I've shared with you. May I just <laughs> transparently say that? Um, Phil Fisher knew that I would say yes to whatever he asked because he's a good friend, and so I taught on this rather than things I usually teach on. Um, so, uh, yes, that, but I don't think that's where your time is best spent. I think you need to go through this, become familiar with it, let the staff who are doing IMCI know, and then if you're involved in supervising CHE, be aware of what those protocols are very thoroughly so maybe you'd go through the 11 days so that you could become very thoroughly uh, aware of it. Or maybe you should just read that thoroughly, and then you can always affirm, three days, well done, you know, and, and, and so on. Yep. So, yes? Uh, that's a really good question that I had trouble finding, so that's why I didn't say it. So there's my level of ignorance. Does anyone know what kind of people? My understanding is they don't have to be state licensed nurses or anything. They can be lower level. Yes? I think in Kenya, if they can read and they can go 
if they can read, that's key. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got to use the flip chart. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was my kind of understanding, but I couldn't find that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you must spend some of that time. Uh-huh. Yep, yep, yep. And hopefully they don't. They follow this. And, and there's, where I, there's where I think that's where I think we do have a responsibility when we're in that catchment area, you know, in the hospital, is to kind of send the note back and, and refer to it. You know, IMCI would recommend three days. I saw you gave ten days. Would encourage you in the future or maybe pay a visit and develop a relationship with that village health worker and kind of encourage them along that path. Yes, ma'am. No, this is integrated management childhood illnesses. Yeah, so it's just purely a whole initiative to help kids not die. There are similar, you know, protocols and guidelines and that kind of thing, but wow, if you were in my prior session, you know that some of that stuff, again, is being pushed by big pharma and international interests, and we're, you know, for example, treat all type 2 diabetics to some low A1C goal and that kind of stuff that, um, wow, you know, in impoverished areas, really? Somebody's driving that, and it's, it's not, um, it's not evidence-based, that's uh, for certain. Other questions? Thank you for your attention. Have a good rest of your day.